Why does God let people choose what they get to do? Wouldn't the world be a better place if he would just stop the evil people and make everything good? That is what we're talking about today on Love God First. Hello listeners, welcome back. You're back! That just makes my heart happy. Thanks for coming back and for listening and studying through Genesis with me. And we're in a bit of a change now. We've gone out of chapter one. We've made it. And we're going to launch into chapter two in a second. But where have we been over these last episodes? I want to take a moment to just review what we've learned. We've talked about a lot of things. We talked about how God created the heavens and the earth, giving us purpose. What purpose? We were made to be loved and to love God. And if doubts come up, we go to Jesus with them. We've learned that God sets the standards for what is pleasant, beautiful, and desirable. We've learned that we were created in the image of God, that every person has value as a result, and that God made us either male or female, and he knew what he was doing. And then God intended for us to have something useful to do and to enjoy it called work. Yes, I said enjoy. And that God blessed the Sabbath day for us to spend quality and quantity time with him regularly. Haven't we learned a lot? Haven't we gone to some really great bedrock foundations and principles of living a great life with Jesus? So we're not finished. We're not nearly finished. We've got 49 more chapters, but we're not in a rush. This isn't about trying to finish a race. It's about the journey and it's about learning more of who we are in Christ and who God is. And we want to be discipled by the Holy Spirit. Don't we? Isn't that why you're here? That's why I'm here. I'm here to press in and to be closer and to draw near to him and to see things in the word I haven't seen yet. And it's been exciting for me as well. So are you ready to keep going forward? We're talking today about free will, such an important concept. And we're finished with the creation story. We're finished with that 30,000-foot flyover of the seven days of creation. Chapter 2 has another focus for us. Sometimes people say, oh, there's a second creation story. It's not. It's not a second creation story. Chapter 2 is more of a zoom in to the sixth day. It's a closer look at the day man was created. And we're taking a look at the concept of free will. Why is it necessary? Would it have been better to not have it? And what do we do now with all this freedom of will that we have? Now, I'm going to explain details as we go. I'm going to read Genesis 2, 5 through 17, and then I'll stop every once in a while just to comment so that you're understanding what we're reading. And then we'll step back and we'll look at the overall meaning and application. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it doesn't change, that it's something we can build our life on. It won't fail us. And so, Holy Spirit, come and give us insight into how to apply it and live it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. Chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 5. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Let me explain what that means, because you can read it and say, wait, Are we going back to day three where God created the plants? No. It's just pointing out the shrub of the field and plant of the field is talking about cultivated crops, farms. And that hasn't 
been established yet. There's no man to cultivate the ground. So it's kind of a setup of why the Garden of Eden was even needed to begin with. There were no crops. So the Lord put Adam, we're going to see in a couple of verses, in the garden and provided all kinds of food that he would need until there was more food that Adam had cultivated. All right, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I just want to comment here on that living being. That's the word in Hebrew, nephesh, which is a soul. And people get confused a lot with soul and spirit. The soul is the biological life. Animals have souls. The same word is used to describe animals. In Genesis chapter 1, 26, remember we saw that God made man in his image. We've been made in God's image. So we have, we are a spirit. We are a spirit and we have a soul and we have a body. So we're soul, spirit, and body. Verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Bishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. The delium and the onyx stone are there, and the name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Okay, pause there. Now, why on earth would knowing about these rivers be helpful in this part of the scripture? You might say, rivers? Who cares? Here's why. This is a real place. Eden and this garden in Eden is a real place. These verses are showing the geography. That, yeah, there are real rivers, and we can sort of extrapolate a general area of where Eden was course, we have to remember that this is pre-flood time, so the rivers most likely have different water courses now because of just the catastrophic changes of all of the geography and the land during the flood. But still, these rivers, especially two of them, Euphrates and Tigris, hey, we know where those are in that Mesopotamia area with a fertile crescent, and so we can kind of tell a general, nobody knows exactly where Eden is, but we can tell a general location. Why? Because the place was real. Okay, going on, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. All right, we see here this beautiful setting, the Garden of Eden, I'm sure there are waterfalls. If, if it's a river running through it, you bet that there are little places where there are rocks and the river's going down. So it probably sounds really beautiful. The birds are chirping. I kind of picture it like a Maui, the island of Maui atmosphere. If you've ever been to Maui, lots of yummy food for eating already there while Adam begins to cultivate the land and later he'll be naming the animals. So it's this beautiful garden of yes and a tree of no. A garden of yes and a tree of no. We don't know the kind of fruit that is on this tree. It doesn't really matter. What matters is God has made a particular command, an explicit command to Adam. And notice something about that. God didn't force Adam. He commanded Adam not to eat. There is a difference. 
Now, why is that important? Because Adam now has a choice. By placing that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, God gave free will to Adam. Now, some have argued that there is no free will. They say, okay, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows what will happen in the future. And if he knows what will happen, the future is fixed and we have no choice. Except that argument makes an assumption. It's saying that foreknowledge is the same as foreordaining something to happen. But they're not synonymous terms. In other words, God's foreknowledge isn't making me do something. It's not causative. God knows what we'll choose, even though the choices are made by us. There's a great book by Dinesh D'Souza called God Forsaken. And if you haven't heard of him, he does a lot of political things now, but he used to write Christian apologetics books, and they're good. Then this one, God Forsaken, deals with why there's evil in the world and suffering. In it, D'Souza quotes Immanuel Kant, a German philosopher from the 1700s. This is what Kant said about free will. This is why we know there is free will. He said, we know not only that we do things, but we also know that we ought to do things. So if I ought to do something, it means that I am free to do it. So based on those two arguments, we have free will. Foreknowledge is not causative, and doing and ought to do can be separate. They can be separate. Now, why does free will matter so much? Why couldn't God have left the tree out? Everything would have been okay if that tree hadn't have been there. We'd all be just partying on, right? Well, this is why. You can't have love or goodness without it. That tree gave Adam freedom to obey or not. So the theologian John Hick said, without freedom, we would be incapable of evil, but without freedom, we would be incapable of good. You might say, why did Adam need the tree there if he was already created perfect? There's nowhere else to go. He was already pure and innocent. But there's a difference between holy nature and holy character. God gave Adam and later Eve a holy nature. That's how they were created. But to have holy character, a choice has to be made. The will must be engaged. So the Lord was actually going to take Adam and Eve. The plan was to take them to an even greater goodness because he was going to engage their will to choose to be good, to choose to obey. So from the beginning, God set up a world with free will, meaning there had to be a choice of both good or evil. There had to be. This answers, by the way, the question about why is there moral evil? And I hear this a lot. You know, people blame the Lord for all the evil in the world. And it's like, wait a second. Evil's around because free will is around. I wonder if those who say, well, why can't God just have stopped the Holocaust, if we would say, well, okay, then you don't get to choose any evil anymore. The Lord is going to choose only good for you. Will you give up everything that you want and only do what God wants? And then they'd be like, well, maybe not. But free will, it did mess up a lot of things, didn't it? It's why so many people are rebels in the Bible. Think about Israel. Think about there are so many people in the Bible who don't do what God wants them to do. Free will is exercised quite a lot in Israel, and the Lord's always calling Israel back, come back to me, come back to me. And God in his sovereignty, he's not going to violate his creation's essential freedom, which means people choose to do wrong things, like I said, all the time. Now, have you ever thought about this, though? In giving us freedom, God opened up the possibility of us choosing wrong, which we did, 
And now the cost God is enduring while waiting to redeem us is huge. The father is suffering greatly. He is suffering greatly. Think about all the evil and horrible things that he sees and knows about throughout the entire world, through all of time. That is a sobering thought. And of course, you have to think about Jesus having the sin of all of that resting on his shoulders on the cross. What a burden. So we're saying you have to have freedom in order to be good and in order to love someone. I remember in high school, I had this boyfriend who had a really cool car. It was this red, I can't remember if it was a Mustang, something in the Mustang world, I believe. Anyway, he was funny and we, you know, we were dating for a little while. And I remember this one day he said, I love you. And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And I didn't, I didn't answer back. And he said, well, are you going to say you love me too? And I said, no, I, I can't do that. And he said, well, then I don't want to date anymore if you don't love me. I said, okay, that's fine. And so then we, we ended our relationship. You know, you just can't force love. You can't. And I would add, you need free will to have the capacity to be loved as well. Otherwise, we're robots. Now, would Adam only choose once to obey God? I wonder about that. I don't think so. How many times did he walk by that tree and have to tell himself no? at least a few. Now let's switch to us. For us, having to obey and come to the Lord, we use our free will for that too. We keep choosing him over and over. If we don't, other things get chosen instead. The world is loud, it's persistent, and it must be resisted. Contrast that to the voice of the Lord. He's gentle and he must be deliberately pursued. He's not going to take us by chains and drag us along. He wants to lead us and we follow. That's another example of why we need that free will. We follow willingly. When my kids were younger, I remember we were at church one day. My son was about maybe seven or eight. And we ran into the pastor after the service. And my son said, hey, uh, pastor, I just gave my heart to Jesus for the third time, maybe the fourth time. And I remember kind of getting embarrassed about that, like third or fourth time, just tell him you gave your heart to God once. You just want to hear third or fourth time. What does that even mean? You know, what's he doing? Why is he giving his heart to the Lord three or four times? You know, I was going through this thought process in my mind and the pastor's response surprised me. He said, well, that's great. Keep doing that. Keep choosing the Lord over and over. That's really wonderful. Instead of saying, no, you only need to have one time have a salvation prayer. He didn't say that. He encouraged my son to keep choosing. Now, by saying that story, I'm not saying we have to keep getting saved by Jesus. No, we have security in Christ as believers. But what I am saying is we wander. Think about that hymn, Come Thou Fount. I love that song. It's so beautiful. There's this one line that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Don't you at sometimes feel the world just tugging on you like that? We must constantly come back to the source. And I think that's what my son, unknowingly, he was only seven or eight years old. That's what he was doing. He was coming back. He was choosing again. We must keep coming back to Jesus to fulfill our deepest needs and to sustain us. We must. That requires us to make a choice each 
and every time we do it. John 7, I want to read to you John 7, verses 37 and 38. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. So this is Jesus saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I want to point out the beginning of what Jesus said. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me. Jesus invites us, but we must choose to come. That part is on us. I want to continually drink from the river of living water, don't you? From the Holy Spirit, the strength and depth. But I must come. It's an act of the will. It's a daily decision. But because of that day in the garden, because the Lord established free will, and because Jesus sacrificed himself for the sin that Adam and Eve and then all the rest of us committed, despite that sin, I can choose to meet with Jesus and be refreshed and renewed in my own personal garden with him every day. You know, it's kind of like a personal garden when you go into a quiet time, you're spending time with him, praying, reading the Bible, worshiping. It's the same thing as what he was doing with Adam and Eve, walking around in the garden and spending time with them, dwelling together. And do you know, at the end of the earth's history, when Jesus comes back, we're going back to a garden. We're going back to trees and rivers and everybody obeying God. That's what we're going back to, the original plan. I'd mentioned that before in another podcast, but it's worth bringing up again. Even now, I can step into what the psalmist says, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I can step into that now. All I have to do is choose. So let's do that afresh today. Dear God, we come to you. We're so thankful that you've given us a choice because at least that's something we can bring you. Every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. Lord, really, the only thing we can bring you is our choice. And so we bring it afresh today and we say we choose you above our own selfishness, above our own wants and desires, above all things, we exalt you, Lord Jesus. And we say, if we had it to do over again, we would choose to be your son or your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow me and do a high rating so we can get more people interested in Love God First. And if you have questions I haven't answered yet, feel free to email me at lovegodfirstpodcast at gmail.com. That's lovegodfirstpodcast at gmail.com.